from the Heidelberg Catechism, we read together Lord's Day 42. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how do you look at money? We know that money is just a means of exchange. Instead of bartering a few chickens for a bag of flour, we get paid in dollars and we can use them to buy what we need. Yet for many, money is far more than that. Our society puts a very high value on money and possessions. People devote their lives to the pursuit of riches. For money is viewed as a ticket to freedom. Many people view money as a source of comfort and security in life. These attitudes affect us as well, beloved. When we look around us at what others have, it's so easy for our hearts to be filled with envy and covetousness. We want what our neighbor has. If others have moved into a modern and spacious home, we desire the same. If friends are driving around in a cool car or truck, we want that as well. If others can spend money on leisure and recreation by traveling or buying a cottage or an RV or a boat, we think we deserve to do the same. Instead of being thankful to God for the many blessings He gives us, our hearts are inclined to be covetous and greedy. We have within us this constant desire for more. We feel the need to keep up with what our neighbors and friends are doing. We're willing to work hard to get ahead in life. There's a temptation to neglect our relationships with God, family, and community so we can put in the extra hours to pay for the stuff we want. Yeah, beloved, that is sin against the Eighth Commandment. When the Lord commands you shall not steal, He's not just forbidding outright theft and robbery. In this commandment, God teaches us about a proper attitude towards money. We'll examine this further by looking at Jesus' encounter with a rich man, as recorded for us in Luke 18. It teaches us about the close link there is between our faith and our finances. We're inclined to separate life into boxes. We try to make distinctions between our worship of God and how we live in daily life, including how we spend our money. Jesus doesn't allow us to do that. He shows us in how in all of life we need to be devoted to God's service. 
I preach to you the gospel under the following theme. Jesus teaches that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. We'll see the false security that riches give, the miraculous salvation that God provides, and the call to love Jesus above all else. Luke 18, 18-30 is organized in a way to highlight what stands at the center of this passage. And there the Lord Jesus makes a profound statement. Jesus says, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now obviously we cannot take this statement literally. In Israel, the largest animal that people were familiar with was the camel. In North America, it might be the bison or moose. In Africa, it would be an elephant. A needle is what your mom uses to mend clothes. Normally, it's hard to put thread through the eye of a needle. Can you fit an elephant through that tiny hole at the end of a needle? That's impossible. And yet, there are rich people who are saved. The Bible talks about rich people who love the Lord and who inherited eternal life. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were rich. Job was the richest man of the East, though for a time his family and possessions were taken from him. David and Solomon were fabulously wealthy. In Luke's Gospel, we read about the tax collector Zacchaeus, who was very rich. Upon becoming a disciple of Jesus, he gave half his goods to the poor, and he promised to restore fourfold to those whom he had defrauded. The Bible indicates that all these people were saved, that they inherited eternal life. In saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus was using a metaphor. He was using an example from everyday life, to show how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? What is it about having wealth and possessions that makes it hard to share in everlasting life? To understand that, we need to examine more closely the rich young ruler and his conversation with Jesus. The conversation begins with the rich young ruler asking Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Jesus answers him by referring to the commandments. It is a rather shocking response from the Lord Jesus. You would have expected Jesus to say something about how he came as Messiah to save his people from their sins, how it was necessary to believe in him. In the verses leading up to our text, Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee thought that his good works could justify him. The tax collector beat his breast and he cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says it was the tax collector who was saved and not the Pharisee. So why does Jesus tell the rich young ruler that to be saved, he needed to keep the commandments of God? 
Well, you see, Jesus always dealt wisely with those whom he encountered. Jesus knew that this man was not ready to listen to the gospel message. His problem was that he did not see himself as a sinful person. He didn't think he had any need for a savior. We see it in the rich young ruler's reply. When Jesus lists God's commandments, the young ruler replies, All these I have kept from my youth. This young man genuinely believed he was a good person. He really did not think that he was a sinner in need of God's grace. If we understand this, we see why Jesus reacted to the young ruler calling him good teacher. Jesus responded saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. People have sometimes misunderstood these words. Was Jesus saying, I'm not good? Is he denying that he was God? Certainly not. His point to the rich young ruler was, why are you walking up to someone who you think is just a human being and then calling him good? Where is your understanding of what the Bible teaches? Don't you know what David confessed in Psalm 51? He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Are you not aware of what the psalmist says in Psalm 130? He confesses, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The point Jesus is making is that no human being is good. The rich young ruler should know that. To make the point clear, Jesus shows this young man where he personally fell short of God's commandments. He said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Again, these are rather shocking words. There's nowhere else that Jesus says that to be saved, you have to give away all your money to the poor. Jesus did not require this of Nicodemus or of the Samaritan woman at the well or of Martha and Mary or even of the tax collector Zacchaeus. So why does Jesus require the rich young ruler to give away all he has and to come follow him? What we need to understand, beloved, is that Jesus addresses people in their particular life circumstances. The rich young ruler's heart was focused on his money and possessions. Hearing Jesus call to sell all that he had and give it to the poor and come follow him, this young man couldn't do that. Our text says he became very sad for he was extremely rich. It's this that prompts Jesus to say, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says the words that stand at the center of this passage. He says, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus teaching us with these words? He makes it clear. Money was the rich young ruler's focus in life. This rich young ruler looked for money to give him what only God could give. And we, beloved, are often inclined to do the same. Money is a very powerful force in this world. And often also in our lives. 
We're often in denial about that. But it's true. Let's examine why that is. Money is not just a commodity that allows us to buy and to sell stuff. In many people's lives, money is far more than that. Money often shapes our self-image. Acquiring money is equated with success. We tend to look up to those who have done well for themselves and to look down on those who have not. The result is that people work incredibly hard to get money. They want to live in a nice house and drive a good car. Not just for the comfort that these things bring, but also for the image that they convey. Look at me. I've made something of my life. I'm successful. Money gives us the idea that we are secure. We feel like we need to have our mortgage paid a fat bank balance, and sound investments to be safe. Many people are not able to rest or relax until they feel financially secure. The result is they keep striving for more and more. We're not easily content. Our effort goes into making more money and getting a little further ahead in life. Yet if that's how we're living, we're investing in the wrong thing. Your money cannot make you secure. If you spend your time and effort on money, you're not investing in the important things of life. You're not investing in a close relationship with the Lord. You're not developing your character so you can grow and mature in your faith and walk with God. You're not building strong relationships with your family and friends. If you think that your money makes you safe or secure, you are seriously deluded. There's so many things that can go wrong in life that money cannot fix. Money can't heal you when you're seriously ill. Money can't help you when you face relationship issues. Money is worthless in the face of bereavement. Money cannot buy health or love, or true comfort. If your focus in life is on money, then when troubles come, you will not have what you really need to sustain you through adversity. There's one more huge problem with money. Money distorts our perspective on ourselves. When people make money and feel good about who they are, they get proud. It is really difficult to remain humble in the face of prosperity. In Proverbs 30, Agur prayed that the Lord would grant him neither poverty nor riches, but only his daily needs. Do you know why he didn't want to get rich? He was afraid riches would cause him to rely on himself rather than on the Lord. He was afraid that his pride would lead him to say, Who is the Lord? And Why do I need him? The rich young ruler of our text thought he was keeping all of God's commandments. Yet he was not even keeping the first commandment. He loved money and money had become his God. He was self-deluded. Beloved, are we not also often in denial 
about our love for money. It's hard to live in our materialistic society and not care about how well off we are. It's hard to see all that our neighbor has and to be content with what God has given us. Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy 6. He warns against the love of money. Paul warns that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. He warns that the faith of many has been shipwrecked because of this. Paul specifically charges the rich of this age not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. This was the lesson the rich young ruler needed to learn. Remember his initial question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember Jesus' statement about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Consider the fact that this rich young ruler went away without being converted. As far as we know, he never shared in the Lord Jesus' saving work. Is money what makes you tick, your brother or sister? Is it the driving force in your life? Do you love more money and what it brings more than you love the Lord Jesus? Don't be too quick to just say no. Consider the question carefully. For in this matter, your very salvation may be at stake. It brings us to our second point, And it will see the miraculous salvation that God provides. In Luke 18, Jesus had just said, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the people who heard it said, Then who can be saved? That is exactly where Jesus wanted to lead the people. They all thought that they could earn their righteousness before God. The rabbis had taught them that to inherit eternal life, all they needed to do was keep God's commandments and avoid sin. Yet Jesus wanted to teach them about their inherent unrighteousness. He wanted them to learn to see their need for a Savior. Beloved, by nature we are all inclined to sin and evil. Some of you sitting here this afternoon might be able to claim that you've never stolen anything in your life. But it doesn't mean that you've kept the Eighth Commandment. When God commands us not to steal, He doesn't just forbid outright theft and robbery. In this commandment, God teaches us that He is a good God. A God who has promised to provide us with everything we need for life and salvation. God calls us to trust Him, not money. God calls us to be devoted to Him and not to money's pursuit. In this commandment, God teaches us to be good stewards of our money, to use what He has given wisely. We're often inclined to use our money selfishly. Yet consider what the Lord taught this rich young ruler. He told him to sell all that he had and to distribute to the poor, and he would have treasure in heaven. You ever thought about that? You can never earn anything by the gifts you give to God's kingdom work 
We're in the service of the needy. And yet God will nevertheless reward you for such giving. Our tendency is to hold on to our money. But Jesus teaches us about the blessings of being a cheerful giver. What's Jesus' point in all this? He wanted to help the people of his day see they could not make it to heaven on the basis of their own good works. He wants to make clear our need for a Savior. I too would like to get this across. And so let me ask you, do you think that you are living up to what God requires of you in the stewardship of His gifts? Are you faithful in giving your first fruits to the Lord? Does His kingdom work have priority in your life? Beloved, are you willing to help those in need? Do you financially support those who face need and deprivation in their lives? Are you willing to give sacrificially? To give not just the leftovers of what you don't need, but to the point where it requires you to make changes in your lifestyle? I hope, beloved, that your seats are somewhat uncomfortable this afternoon. I really want you to consider Jesus' message in our text. It is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When it comes to money, we're not often content. Money is often a greater priority in life than we'd like to admit. Our heart's inclination is to love money more than we love God. Do you think that's untrue? Are you still in denial? Or are you willing to admit that our text touches a raw nerve? That it pokes us in a place that hurts? That it exposes also our sins and our shortcomings? We need to, have, we need to admit that we have a problem in order to look for a solution. That's what Jesus' hearers did in our text. They asked, then, who can be saved? Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What did Jesus mean by these words? In them he spoke about the miracle of conversion. Of how it is possible for God to take people out of their sins and misery and give them new life. Salvation truly is a miracle. It's only possible for anyone to be saved by the intervention of God. God does the impossible. He performs a supernatural task when He brings sinners from darkness to the light. God brought about our salvation in a spectacular way. He did so through a rich young ruler. Consider who Jesus Christ is, beloved. Jesus was in his early 30s when he spoke the words of our text. Before he came into this world, he had equality with God. He was ruler over the entire world. He lived in glory and splendor. He had all the resources of the universe at his fingertips. Yet Jesus was willing to give up his riches to come to earth 
to serve as our Savior. In doing so, he was stripped of his heavenly riches and glory. But that's not all. Lucas told us that Jesus had set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. He had told the disciples how he would be delivered into the hands of the Jewish leaders and that he would be killed. Soon Jesus would be stripped of his friends, of his clothes, of his relationship with his heavenly Father, even of life itself. Jesus was a rich young ruler, and yet he was willing to give away everything. Why? For the sake of the poor. We see that Jesus did not ask anything of the rich young ruler that he would not do himself. Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We, beloved, are spiritually poor. Bankrupt, in fact. Like the tax collector, we need to beat our breast and cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The reason God can show us His mercy is because Jesus Christ took the punishment we deserve. He was drained of all His riches so that we could have true riches, so we could share in the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Wealth that truly lasts. Riches that make us secure. It brings us to our final point. The call to love Jesus above all else. Do you believe the gospel, beloved? Do you truly believe that Jesus stripped himself of all riches and made himself poor so that by his poverty you might become rich? Do you look at yourself in that way? Despite whatever your outer circumstances may be, do you consider yourself to be one of the richest people living on the face of this earth? We often don't look at ourselves or at life in that way. Too often we associate riches with material prosperity instead of considering our standing before God. Do you believe the gospel and rejoice in it? Does it make you glad that with body and soul, you belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you truly thankful for God's grace in Christ? That He has redeemed you from sin and death to grant you life now and forevermore? Are you able to put your hope and trust in God alone? If so, it will drain all the power out of money. It will no longer be a source of your self-esteem or your security. Money will simply become a gift given you by God to be used in His service. You'll find you're able to give it away. In our materialistic society, one of the true tests of our spirituality is our willingness to part with our money. 
There is an integral link between our faith and our finances. It's easy to say that we love the Lord. I don't doubt that you do. But do you love Jesus above all else? Jesus taught us not to lay up treasures for ourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. He encouraged us to lay up treasures in heaven by giving of our riches to promote his kingdom and to support those in need. Jesus taught, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. The purpose of this sermon, beloved, is not to get the church budget to balance. The purpose is to call each one of us to a living faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler's question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We've seen we cannot do anything to merit God's favor. Yet we are called to seek our life and salvation in Jesus Christ. By faith, to cling to Him to the, and the wondrous works He has done. We're called to show our faith by offering our lives as a sacrifice of thankfulness to God. We see this in the final verses of our reading from Luke 18. Peter says, See, we have left our homes and followed you. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. God wants a heart commitment from us, beloved. He calls us to put him first in all of life before our possessions, even before our families. At times we may ponder on whether it's really worth it to follow Jesus. In a life of total commitment to Christ, there are certain commands you are committed to follow, certain pleasures that you need to give up, certain sacrifices that you need to make. But is following Jesus worth it? A Muslim convert to the Christian faith will likely be ostracized by his or her family, may even be persecuted for his or her faith. Missionaries and other aid workers often leave behind close family members and friends to serve overseas. Is it really worth it to give up family relationships or possessions for the sake of Christ? Jesus does not call each one of us to do this. We're not all called to make a radical break with family for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. We're not all commanded to sell all we have to give to the poor. Yet to the extent that we are required to make sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus promises a rich reward. He promises that those who honor him will truly be blessed many times over in this life and also in the age to come. God does not require anything of us that He does not first give us. And God will reward those who seek His kingdom and His righteousness. Although it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, God will provide salvation and blessing 
to everyone who truly seeks Him. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from Psalm 62, stanzas 3, 6, and 7. <laughs> 